בשם השם נעשה ונצליח, שיעור תורה, ברוכים הבאים. We are back here from Jerusalem, עיר הקודש, uh, under fire uh, of war, ברוך השם. Uh, and um, we are going to start a shiur to give you guys some updates, what's going on, as we promised you guys, our dedication to uh, the world, the uh, Am Yisrael, that uh, wants to learn Torah, that wants to get chizuk, uh, is our life's work, and uh, really this is uh, why we decided that we're going to do shiur every day, to give you guys some chizuk, to give you guys some insights. To get everybody that uh, that chance, that chance to get on the uh, on the train before the um, before the end. Now the question is: Is this the end? Is this the end of the world or not? Many people are talking about Gog and Magog, end of the world. And Bezot Hashem, we always know that there is something to learn from the weekly parasha that is going to uh, give us some insights of uh, what's happening in the world. Now tonight's show is going to be for the Refuah Lema, for all of the. Uh, people that have been uh, injured, hurt, uh, traumatized by these uh, evil monsters that uh, call themselves uh, Hamas, Palestinians, in so many words, all these uh, monsters uh, that uh, cannot even be called or considered as human beings anymore. Uh, and uh, anyone that got hurt from them in any way, shape or form, may HaKadosh Baruch give them refuah shlema. And also for um, my dear Rabbanit, uh, Rabbanit Levana Bat Sarah, הרב אפרים בן שולמית, רבנית שרה בת ענת, אבי מורי דוד בן עשריה, אמי מורתי דוריס בת ז'ורה, may all of them have רפואה שלמה, רפואת הנפש, רפואת הגוף. And all of the supporters, all of you wonderful people that continue to learn Torah with us, uh, support the organization, uh, and especially uh, those of you that are contributing to uh, uh, all the uh, things that we're doing. A uh, new campaign that we have, bhchesed.org, to uh, raise some money, in order for us to uh, be able to help as many people that are struggling financially here in Israel uh, due to the times of what's happening. There are uh, many people that are not able to work. Uh, some are even scared to leave their houses. Uh, there is a, uh, a lot uh, going on that uh, you know people that don't live here simply do not know. Now, of course, uh, for anyone that's been sleeping under a rock and doesn't realize that Israel was attacked uh, just a couple of days ago in the worst attack in the history of the uh, nation, uh, you know, as far as uh, modern uh, day, uh, uh, I should say, and um, because certainly worse things have happened to us uh, throughout history, uh, but uh, the, uh, the attack massacred uh, what they're willing to admit so far is that there's uh, over 1,200 people and counting that have been massacred. Uh, certainly, it is not uh, uh, going to be a surprise if uh, there is many more added to that. They're still counting. Uh, they're still counting uh, the bodies. They're still uh, discovering more people. Uh, and uh, one of the things that the world that uh, is looking for the truth is uh, discovering is how vicious, how vicious these Ishmaelim are. Ishmaelim are these uh, Palestinians, these Hamas, all of the uh, uh, Arab nation uh, are uh, considered under the uh, um, biblical, uh, uh, I should say, uh, nation of Ishmael. And uh, the Gemara, our, our holy Talmud, tells us that out of all of the nations and all of the people throughout all of history, the most vicious nation of all is the Ishmaelim. And uh, many people, uh, you know, simply uh, are unaware of it and didn't even want to believe it. 
because you know when the sages said it, uh, you know there wasn't even a uh, you know Islam yet. You know Islam is a, a relatively new religion, only uh, the last fourteen hundred years or so. Uh, the, the Talmud was written well before it, but uh, Ishmael certainly existed since the time of Avram, Avram Avinu. He was one of his sons with the um, uh, with Hagar. Uh, but, uh, you know, this uh, Ishmael developed into a major nation, and HaKadosh uh, Baruch Hu gives them an enormous amount of power throughout the years, but especially at the end of times, even though they are a vicious nation. Now, many people don't believe it because they get their information from the media, they get their information from uh, liberals, they get their information from uh, all types of uh, propaganda sources, uh, and uh, therefore they're uh, you know they they have no idea. You know, last time they saw a picture of uh, you know a uh, two uh, people that uh, uh, represent Islam. It's you know it looks like a nice man and nice woman uh, that are uh, modestly dressed and uh, look happy. They don't realize what's actually happening behind the scenes. Uh, the you know how they use uh, human shields. Uh, and how uh, they literally massacre their own people on a regular basis. Needless to say, anyone they consider their enemies, which is especially Israel. So this Ishmael got a uh, uh, a blessing. He got a blessing. Why did Ishmael get a blessing? Why did Ishmael get a blessing? The uh, Zohar Kadosh, Zohar Kadosh says to us in uh, Parashat Vayera, in page 337, uh, the uh, one of the Talmidim of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, Shia, uh, says, "Woe, woe to us on the day that Ishmael was born, and thereby, you know, got a Brit Milah on his thirteenth uh, birthday. Uh, he got a Brit Milah. Why woe to us? Because that Brit Milah, that circumcision that he got, is why Hashem rewards him in this world, despite the fact that he does evil deeds." And he's in a, in his in his in his a uh, descendants are evil nation, and they will cause major wars in the air, in the sea, in the land at the end of days, and eventually go you know go against Edom and ultimately go against Am Yisrael. So, ultimately, Hakadosh Baruch Hu will destroy him, but we see here, Rabbi that the reason why Ishmael gets. Is uh, the reward, the power that they have in the world, part of it being an enormous amount of money to the leaders uh, and uh, different resources like oil and others, uh, part of it being a massive amount of people as a population, and I would say the perhaps even the most significant, the most significant power that Ishmael has is the wool over the world's eyes, that they are somehow able to manage, uh, to fool the world, uh, to think that they actually mean well. They actually do good things. So, the power that they have as far as a number of people, billions of people, uh, is no secret. Even though, there are many foolish young Americans that don't realize, uh, you know, how big uh, Islam is in comparison to Israel. Where, when one uh, uh, journalist 
uh, went to a, uh, or activist, I should say, went to um, uh, one of the uh, famous universities, uh, I believe it was UCLA, uh, in the United States, and asked the different students how many, uh, how many uh, Russian, how many uh, um, Muslim uh, uh, people there are in the world, and how many Muslim countries. Uh, the average student answered, you know, literally the uh, polar opposite of reality. They thought there's only a few million Muslims in the world and, uh, and only uh, a handful of Muslim countries in the world. On the other hand, when they asked them, how many Jewish countries are there in the world and how many Jews? They said exen, the exact opposite of what reality is. Reality is there's 15 to 20 million Jews in the world, but the average student in this famous university in America said that they think there's over a billion Jews in the world and there are 20 Jewish countries. So again, the exact opposite numbers. This is part of the so-called blessing, if you will, that, uh, that Ishmael is being given in this world to benefit from this world because he has no share of the world to come. Uh, because of his evil acts, but that's the blessing that he got is due to the Brit Milah. Now, right now, we are in a time of war where there are uh, countless missiles being shot at Israel, but if you spend any time in the news, including news in Israel in many places, the, you'd spend literally 99% of the time you're going to see only highlighting of the Israeli counterattacks into Gaza rather than the 5,000 missiles that the terrorists have shot into Israel over the last couple of days. Nearly 5,000 missiles have been shot into Israel. 5,000. Okay, just imagine. September 11th in America was a couple of planes. You had one plane into uh, the uh, first tower, another plane into the second tower, another uh, plane that crashed in Pennsylvania, and another whatever that vehicle uh, air, you know, was in, in Washington. Some say it was a plane. Others say we don't see a plane, we see a missile. Either way, let's just consider it's four planes. Four planes. Here we're talking about 5,000 rockets shot into Israel in just the last couple of days. But the media is covering Israel's attack. As if Israel started this whole thing. So you're already seeing that the, this is not even a matter of the media is being biased, the media is, 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 no, no, this is literally part of the blessing that Ishmael got, which is to put a wool over the world's eyes and make people think that they're not as evil as they are. Now, even people that are uh, so-called Israel supporters many times don't consider the biblical uh, 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 um, possession of Israel, the biblical uh, 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 promise that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave, to, gave Israel to, to, uh, to the Jewish people. They consider... Politics. Politics are 1948. As if, as if the Jewish people started, you know, right after the Holocaust. Somehow they murdered 6 million of us before we became a nation, and we became a nation after they murdered us. Like, it just doesn't make any sense. And this is even from supporters. 
Because everyone is, anytime that they're looking at, let's look at the map, oh, what happened before 1948, you had Palestinians here, and they're really uh, under the British control, and they really dominated the land, so maybe it was their land, but then the Israelis uh, were given it by the UN, and da-da-da-da-da. No, no, you're not understanding. If you believe in the Torah, none of the politics have anything to do with reality. Why? Akadosh Baruch Hu created the world, and therefore it's his, and he decided to give us the land. Where do we know? Parashat Bereshit. Parashat Bereshit starts the beginning of the Torah. The same Torah that the Jewish people believe, even the Christians believe, and even the Muslims believe. Starts the same. Bereshit bara Elohim et in the beginning of God's creating the heaven and the earth, that's the first verse. Then it continues, when the earth was astonishingly empty, with darkness upon the surface of the deep, and a divine presence hovered upon the surface, and so on and so forth. But the question comes from the Jewish sages, we know that the Torah is not a history book. The Torah is a book of laws, of instructions. Why start the Torah with the creation of the world when really the most relevant, or what would seem relevant, would be that you should just start at the time we received the Torah, or at least at, in, in Egypt, the Exodus. We're about to start receiving some laws. Why start with the creation of the world? And our holy sages explain to us, this is because there's going to come a day where some people are going to say, some nations are going to say, this land is ours, it's not yours. And when ask them, what makes it yours? They say, well, this is, we have a long our history of it. We uh, just uh, got a flag printed at a local printing shop. We uh, collected a bunch of people from different nations and we decided that's, that's considered long history. It's ours. Because we uh, lived here, even though nothing grew when we lived here. And therefore it's ours. We say to them, no, no, it's ours. And they're going to say to us, well, what makes it yours? What makes it yours? We're going to say, God gave it to us. The same God you believe in. From the same Torah you believe in. And what gives him the right to give it to you? It's his world. Hence the reason he started the Holy Torah within the beginning of God's creating the heaven and the earth to show you that although this is a book of laws, he wants to let you know, I also created the world. I didn't just create laws. Everything is mine, says Hashem. Everything is mine, including this world. And I decided to give this part of the world to my people. And that's the reason why in the Holy Torah, you see Jerusalem mentioned countless times. In the Quran, you're not going to find it a single time. Why? Because until recent years, the Muslims never thought Israel is theirs. It's all a political play. But at the same token, our holy Torah tells us that at the end of days, 
Ishmael and Edom are both going to attack the Jewish people all for the sake of possession of Israel, especially Jerusalem. Especially Jerusalem. And we have to know what to do at that time. Now are we at that time, are we at Milchemet Gogu Magog, as we mentioned last night, certainly the statements in the Torah that are mentioned across the Talmud, the Zohar Kadosh, the Hasidut, different Chachamim, throughout all of the generations, whether it be the Malbim, or the Ramban, the Gaon Vilna, countless others, all of the different prophecies, it fits. It fits that this is the beginning of the end. Is it the end yet? We don't know. What we do know is that it is very possible that it's the beginning of the end. But that doesn't mean that the end is next week, or next month, or next year. Why? Because although there is a part, a big part of the battle that the Gaon Vilna says, where according to the prophet Zechariah, where two-thirds of the world gets wiped out, that part of the battle only lasts eight minutes. Still there is a seven-year series of wars, where Gogu Magog, according to many of the commentaries, is not a uh, uh, just a small little battle or one big battle, but rather it's a series of battles over seven years that start during Sukkot. And this recent terror attack that happened here in Israel just a couple of days ago started at the end of Sukkot. So certainly it fits that this is the beginning of the end. But... What is one to do? What is one to do if he is here, if he is now living here, he hasn't done complete Shuvah yet, perhaps maybe he doesn't keep Shabbat yet, or she's not, a woman is not modest yet, or they're not eating kosher all the time, or their business is unethical and against the Torah, what do they do? Now they realize, whoa, this Torah stuff is serious. So first and foremost, we have to understand that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is showing us clear, clear, clear signs right now that whether this is the end or the beginning of the end, He is run out of patience for people that simply disregard the Holy Torah and assimilate or live secular lives. And we see that HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants us to do tshuva. And even the most anti-Torah people have recently come forward to us and to other people that we know, telling them, you know what, maybe I'm going to start putting on tefillin. Maybe I'm going to start saying Shema Yisrael and pray every day. Maybe I'm going to start keeping Shabbat. Countless people over the last couple of days have reached out to us, telling us that they've decided to take all of these lectures that we have made over the years and start listening to them and start taking them seriously. One guy that was a uh, uh, working in the same company as one of my students was angry at me, even though he never met me. Why is he angry at me? Because my student used to be his friend. And uh, But once he started doing tshuva and started keeping Shabbat, keeping kosher, building a holy Jewish family... They no longer had much in common. So they stopped hanging out and uh, the friendship 
dissipated. So he was angry at me because I'm the rabbi that inspired his former friend to change direction in life. And my very dear student came to me today telling me something miraculous happened today. The same guy that's hated you for the last few years has just told me that he's been watching your lectures and he decided that he's going to start putting on tefillin and praying every day. This Rabotai is one of the promises that HaKadosh Baruch Hu says at the end of days what's going to happen. That there's going to be a hunger and a thirst, but not for food and water, but rather for the Holy Torah and the truth of the Torah. And this is just one of countless stories. Now our Holy Torah already tells us <clears throat> from the beginning of the Torah that there's more than meets the eye. When you look at the verses in English and just look at the uh, simple verses, you're not going to find much. But when you look at the Holy Hebrew language and you know how to read it and you know how to learn it and you know how to follow the commentaries, you'll understand that there is literally an endless amount of secrets in it. One of the Chachamim that I know heard that the Gaomi Vilna found that there's over 200 over 200 different commentaries on the first word of Bereshit and all of the mitzvot, all 613 mitzvot are inside, are hinted by the first word of the Torah. This Talmit Chacham took that and over a period of years gathered more and more information and started seeing that over a thousand of the halachot, not just the mitzvot, a thousand halachot are also hinted inside the word Bereshit, the first word of the Torah. And in the first word of the Torah Bereshit, we see a secret. That HaKadosh Baruch Hu didn't just create the world, but he, we always see that HaKadosh Baruch Hu created the world with instructions. And Bereshit, for example, has the last letter of Bereshit is a taf. If you count 50 letters, you get to the word tehom, that's, and you get to the letter vav. You count another 50 letters, you get to the letter resh, in the word vayera. And then you count another 50 letters, you get to the word elohim. And you get to the hey. Taf vav resh hey, spells Torah. Why 50? Because after HaKadosh Baruch Hu took us out of Egypt, seven weeks plus one day is when he gave us the Torah. 50 days. HaKadosh Baruch Hu already gave us a hint of when the Torah is going to be given to his people in the first word of the Torah. Now, the Holy Torah also tells us different Stories, stories that we can learn Musar from. And the creation we can learn about the end of days as well. First and foremost, the word Tehom, the word Tehom, which is a uh, the surface of the deep in English, this Rabotai also hints to the four kingdoms that ruled. Tehom is without, also means a, a uh, comes from Tohu, 
which is without form, that was Babylon. Uh, then you also have emptiness, which is Persia. The Tov of O is referring to that. Then also Choshech, which is Greece. And the Pnetehom is the last rule of Edom. So we see that already within the first couple of verses, Kadosh Buhu not only gives us a clarification that he created the world ex nihilo, from nothing, there was no, uh, nothing that existed aside from uh, Hashem before he created the world. And he's the one that decided who he's going to give Israel to. He's the one that decided who he's going to give the Torah to. He's the one that decided what he's going to do with his world. But at the same token, he's also telling us that he's also going to give certain powers, certain gifts, if you will, to the enemies of his own people. Why? Because they too serve a certain purpose. They too serve a certain purpose. Now, after that, we see that Akadosh Baruch Hu creates Adam and Chava. Adam and Chava are created before Shabbat starts, and we already see the secret of Shabbat in the Torah that it's only for Am Yisrael. We don't have to wait for the Ten Commandments in Parashat Yitro to know that Shabbat is only for the Jews. It's a gift. As the Gemara in Masechet Shabbat says, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says to Moshe Rabbeinu, even before we go to Mount Sinai, tell Am Yisrael, I have a great gift in my treasure chest, and its name is Shabbat, and I'm going to give it to my dear children. But this is not something that he created at Mount Sinai. This is something that already existed in creation. As we know, the seventh day was Shabbat. But his decision to give it to the Jewish people was also in creation. How do we know that? It's also hinted in the words. We get to the sixth day, where it says, that it was uh, night, it was day, the sixth day. The sixth day, Ashishi, ends with the letter Yud. You count seven letters, you get to the, to the letter Shin in Shamayim. Count another seven letters, you get to the letter Resh in the word Va'aretz. Count another seven letters, you get to the letter Aleph in Tzeva'am. Another seven letters in the word Elohim. You get to the Lamed. Spelling, Israel. So the verse that we use for Kiddush, every Jew that does Kiddush on Shabbat, Yom HaShishi Vayichulu HaShamayim Va'aretz Vekod Tzeva'am Vayichal Elohim B'Yom HaShaviyim Melechto Asher Asa Vayishbot B'Yom HaShaviyim Mikro Melechto Asher Asa Vayivarech Elohim Et Yom HaShaviyim Vayikadesh Oto Kibo Shabbat Mikro Melechto Asher Barai Elohim Naasot Every Jew that does Kiddush knows exactly what I just said in English translation is on the sixth day thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all their array by the seventh day, God completed His work, which He had done, and He abstained on the seventh day from all His work, which He had done. God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, 
because on it he abstained from all his work which God created to make. This tiny little paragraph, a couple of verses, already hints that HaKadosh Baruch Hu not only created the Shabbat, but he already decided that this gift too is to the Jewish people. And that's why the Gemara says that a Gentile that observes Shabbat is considered a thief. Now, furthermore, we learn that when HaKadosh Baruch Hu created Adam, it says, Vayitzer Adonai Elohim et Adam. But the Gemara in Masechet Brachot says, page 61a, Vayitzer, that Hashem created Hashem created Adam from, from, uh, from the soil, from the dust of the ground. But the Gemara says, if you read it in English, or you read it in Arabic, or you read it in any other language, you're not going to know why, because it says, he created. But if you read it in Hebrew, the Gemara says, you read it in Hebrew, you'll notice that the word created is spelled differently than it's spelled everywhere else, including just a, uh, a couple of sentences later, where it says that uh, Hashem planted the Garden of Eden to the east and placed there men whom He had formed. Hashem Yatzar. So we see the same word spelled differently, only one sentence apart. Sigma so says, obviously, there's a lesson to be learned here. What's the lesson? The, when he created man, he didn't just create a little doll. He created a soul. And that soul has a mission. But for that mission to have any value of reward, it has to have obstacles. Because if you are just playing uh, you know, with a ball and you're kicking into the net and there's no goalie protecting the net, there's no uh, skill required here. For you, no one's going to celebrate that you put the ball in the net because there's no obstacle. But if there's a goalie, certainly it's worth something if you, if you put the goal in the net. If there's a couple of defendants too, it's even worth more. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, when I created man, I created him with a good nature, a good, a good inclination and an evil inclination, represented by this word Vayitzel, as it has two letter yuds, instead of only one, like it is spelled in the rest of the Torah. One yud for the Yetzel Ara, one yud for the Yetzel Atov. One yud representing the Evil inclination, one you'd representing the good inclination. Meaning that every single person has the ability to do great things or horrible things. You could be a murderer like these Hamas terrorists and their supporters. Or you can be a holy person that publicizes Torah and dedicates their life to God. That's your choice. So already in the beginning of the Torah, we see something cooking here. We see something cooking here. Why? Because after HaKadosh Baruch Hu creates men, the serpent comes, the serpent comes and convinces Chava, Eve, 
that uh, she could eat from the tree of knowledge, even though God said not to eat. How does he convince her? HaKadosh Baruch Hu said to Adam, you can eat from all of the trees in the garden, except the tree of knowledge. Except the tree of knowledge. Chava was waltzing around in Gan Eden, and all of a sudden the serpent, who was a beautiful creature, had arms and legs and spoke. He wasn't like a snake that you see in a zoo. He was a serpent that was created to be the king of the animals and had the ability to speak. Perhaps that's where all the imaginary, uh, the imagination that people have of, uh, of reptilian people comes from. But nonetheless, this serpent wasn't happy with his share. He didn't like his wife serpent. He wanted to marry Chava. But he knew that Adam was stronger than him. He could kill him. So he wanted Adam to die. How could he die? So he convinced him to forsake Hashem's mitzvah. Hashem said, don't eat from the tree of knowledge. To Adam. So he said, to if I convince Chava to feed this to Adam, Hashem will kill him, and then I can marry Chava. But how can I convince her? The Torah says, the serpent, the serpent was Arum, Armumi, he, he was a cunning, most cunning animal. He had an excuse for everything. You ask him a question, it always has a way to get away with it. Similar to how Ishmael is. You see some of these interviews, they're asking these uh, Palestinian uh, uh, representatives, do you uh, condemn the terror and massacre of civilians that Hamas did? And say, that's not an important question. That's not an imp- what do you mean it's not an important question? Just answer yes or no. We didn't ask you to rate our questions. Asking simple question. Do you condemn it or do you agree with it? No, it's not an important question. The more important question, he starts telling the reporter what the important question is. And guess what? The public buys that nonsense and has been buying that nonsense. The same thing happens with governments. The same thing happens with people. You ask people, do you uh, condemn the terror attacks against uh, the Jewish people? Well, uh, the Jewish people are uh, doing this and this bad. Forget about whether you think they are good or bad. Bottom line is, do you think that terrorists are good or bad? Terrorists killing a bunch of innocent civilians, including children, in the most vicious, horrific ways the world has ever seen. Literally, the, 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 just the imagery of some of these things that happened that are being reported in the media, and they are the ones that are reporting it themselves, these terrorists, could scar a person's brain forever. And they did it and they're celebrating it. So you ask people in America, you ask people in, 
in, uh, in Canada, you ask people in Australia, you ask people, they're having all these protests, pro-Palestinian protests. You ask them, do you agree that they just murdered 40 babies? Do you agree? Do you agree that they flew in to a party and just killed as many people as they could? Do you agree with that? Do you agree that they did all these things? Do you agree with it or do you condemn it? Even though you're pro-Palestine and you like them and you think this... Fine, whatever, fine. But do you agree with this? Oh, that's not an important question. What do you mean it's not an important question? It's either yes or no. It's either yes. Do you agree? Would you, would you like it if we did that to your family? We just decided to show up to your next barbecue and just kill everybody? Would you, would you, would you agree with that? That's okay? No. So why do you think... That it's okay to do it to somebody else. Oh, but because of this and that, and this is Rabotai, justifying the evil to any normal human being, it's like, no, what are you doing? You're justifying evil. But somehow HaKadosh Baruch Hu literally twists the minds of people as part of the gift to Ishmael, he allows Ishmael to twist the mind of the public to make them justify and rationalize the most vicious, heinous acts on planet Earth that are being done on a regular basis. This is not a new thing. They have shot hundreds of thousands of missiles into civilian areas in Israel over the last several years. And somehow, people still debate whether Israel has a right to defend itself or not. Would you be okay if somebody shot a missile at your house? No. Oh, so wait, so your house is more important than somebody else? Your blood is more red than theirs? And Israel Butai is one of the gifts to Ishmael that's a curse on Yaakov, but a temporary curse nonetheless. And the same thing already was given to the serpent. Meaning this cunning nature came from the serpent. That's what Ishmael has. He has the serpent. And the serpent said, I want what doesn't belong to me. Just like they want a land that doesn't belong to them. They want money that doesn't belong to them. They want everything that doesn't belong to them. Same thing the serpent. Serpent said, I don't like Mrs. Serpent. Islam doesn't like that they literally have over 20 countries over 20 countries. Some of their countries can fit Israel in it 10 times, 20 times. They're not happy that they have over 20 countries surrounding this tiny little island that's the size of, uh, this tiny little country that's the size of uh, New York City. Not even New York State. They're not happy with that. They're not happy with they have over 20 different countries. No! They want something else. Why? This is ours. Where is it yours? Where did you write in yours? Oh, it's uh, it's uh, old heritage. Where? Where is it written? Is it written in the Quran? It's not written in the Quran. You believe in the Quran? Where is it written in the Quran? Show me Jerusalem in the Quran. No Jerusalem in the Quran. No Jerusalem. Even though the author of the Quran didn't know how to read or write, and he had to simply tell it to somebody to write for him, because he did. Muhammad didn't know how to write. He didn't know how to read. He was illiterate. It's a known thing. He had somebody write it to him. Write his delusion for him. And also copy and plagiarize from other places. So, where does it say Quran that Israel is yours? 
doesn't say. You even have sheikhs, Islamic scholars, admit that Israel never belonged to the Muslims, never will belong, never belonged to them, never, there's no such thing. But yet, they're fighting for it like it's theirs. Why don't you go back to, I don't know, one of the 25 countries that you have? You have Saudi Arabia, you have Dubai, you have uh, Iraq, you have Afghanistan, you have uh, Indonesia, you have Pakistan. You have so much. What do you want from Israel? From that little place. No, it's ours. Where is it yours? Where, where is it yours? That's not an important question. You, you Jewish people are tricky. You're tricky. Donkeys, son of donkeys. Read your own book. But you know what? They don't read. They don't read. The highest level of illiteracy isn't there. But I'll read it for them. Because they say they believe in the Torah. They have Bereshit there also. In Bereshit, we know where this cunning nature comes. It comes from the serpent. This jealousy comes. It comes from the serpent. This desire to take something that doesn't belong to you comes from the serpent. And the serpent wants to marry Chava. He wants to marry Eve. So what does he do? Let's get Adam to eat and violate the word of God. That way I'll marry her. And this is what happened. He convinces her. But how does he convince her? By causing her to make a mistake. How? He says to her, in his cunning way, Oh, so I see that you're not eating uh, from this tree. So what? God wants you to starve to death. You're not allowed to eat. How are you going to survive? Took it to extreme. She says, no, no, no. He didn't say I can't eat anything. He said that we can't eat, we can eat from all the trees, but we can't eat or touch this tree. Ah, I got her. How did he get her? You see, God actually told Adam, you're not allowed to eat from the tree. He didn't say you're not allowed to touch the tree. But Chava, because she was intimidated by this cunning serpent, this Ishmael, she misspoke. She added something. Don't eat and don't touch. It's like a ignorant Jew. When you ask him questions about the Torah, he doesn't know. So you can easily confuse him to start believing idolatry even. And bring him to the church. Even though he's a Jew. That's the reason why the most important thing for a Jew is to learn Torah. Not even for the sake of becoming religious, but also to not become an idol worshiper. But nonetheless, the Edomites and the church has taken advantage of ignorant Jews since their beginning. The entire uh, world of Christianity started with ignorant Jews. They didn't know how to read, they didn't know how to write, similar to Muhammad. So therefore they were able to manipulate them and tell them that something is there when it's not really there. And until this day, in the last 25, 30 years, over 500 Jews, 500,000 Jews have been convinced to convert to Christianity, which is 100% idolatry, because they believe in a three-part God, they believe in a human God, and all types of other nonsense. 
But over 500,000 Jews have abandoned the world of truth, the Torah, and have gone to Christianity. But this was not scholar Jews. These were illiterate secular Jews. Assimilated Jews. So, the serpent, in his skill set, also affects the Edomites. Now, Chava made one small mistake that brought death to the world. She added to what God said. God said, don't eat from the tree. She said, don't eat and don't touch. And therefore, we see that when we add to the Torah, it really lessens it. Even if the addition makes it seem like as if it's even better protection, you don't have the permission to just add protection just because you like it, just because you want to. Just because you want to. Can't just add. So the cunning serpent said, Oh, he said, don't touch it. So he pushed Chava on the tree. She suddenly got hit by the tree. Oh, and he says, See, you're alive. You just touched the tree. You're alive. They're lying to you. Really? They're trying to trick you. Don't eat from the tree because they know that if you eat from the tree, you'll be like God. After she ate from the tree, she ate from the tree, she ate the fruit. The Zohar Kadosh says she cried all night until she was able to convince Adam Arishon to eat. Because he didn't want to eat. He wanted to serve God. He said, God said, don't eat. He didn't just come over there and say, oh, no, I want to, I'll eat. No. He didn't want to eat. He said, I want to serve God. But now that she got infected by the cunning nature of the serpent, she tried to convince him in different ways. Annoying him, begging him, enticing him. Eventually something clicked. Adam Rishon says the Chachamim, he thought, wait, I want to serve Hashem forever. But obviously I'm flesh and blood. I'm going to die at one point. So how could I serve him forever when I die at one point? I need to live forever. How could I assure myself to live forever? I need to eat from the tree of life. Now God never said, I'm not allowed to eat from the tree of life. He said, just don't eat from the tree of knowledge. Only problem is, when the Torah says, the tree of life, it says that the tree of life, that the tree of life is inside Gan Eden. What does it mean inside the Gan Eden? Somewhere there. The tree of knowledge, it doesn't say where it is, but we obviously know that Adam and Chava knew where it is because they ate from it. Chachamim say that Adam and Chava did not know where the tree of life is. And Adam thought, you know what? I want to serve God forever. The only way I can do that is if I live forever. But I need to eat the tree of knowledge. I don't know where it is. I went here. I went there. I went right. I went left. I went everywhere. Don't see it. But if I eat from the tree of knowledge, then I'll have the knowledge of where the tree of life is. So even though it's a sin to eat from the tree of knowledge, God told me not to do it. I'm doing it for the sake of doing good. I'm doing it for the sake of being able to live forever so I can serve God. He justified the evil. 
justified the evil, and he failed. And how do we know that it was his mission to actually go eat from the tree of life? Because as soon as he ate from the tree of knowledge, Hashem punished him by kicking him out of Gan Eden, lest he eat from the tree of life and live forever, as the verses say. Now, the biggest mistake that Adam Chava made was not even what I just said. Although they added to the Torah in order to justify their own desire, even if their desire meant well, that wasn't their biggest mistake. The biggest mistake is when a Kadosh Baruch Hu comes to them, initially he prepares them by making some noise. Why is he making noise? To not scare them. To teach us what's called Derech Eretz. Good character traits require you to have Derech Eretz, which is good ways. You can't just waltz into the house, even if it's your house. Knock on the door, even if it's your house. Knock on the door before you enter. Why? Maybe somebody's getting dressed. Maybe you're going to surprise somebody. Maybe you're going to scare somebody. It's forbidden to scare people. So, HaKadosh Baruch Hu makes noise. Adam and Chava hide. And then HaKadosh Baruch Hu pretends like he doesn't know where they are and he says, Ayeka, where are you? Obviously, Hashem knows where he is. He knows where he is. Why is he where he is? Again, to prepare him. Because if he just appears to him, Adam, Adam is going to be so scared he's going to die. So he prepares him before he speaks to them. And then he tells him, did you eat from the tree that I told you not to eat? And instead of Adam saying, yes, I did, and I'm sorry, Adam said, the wife you gave me, she caused me to do it. Had he said, yes, I ate, and I'm sorry, Hashem would have forgiven him. But because instead of owning up to his mistake and doing tshuva, he blamed somebody else, Hashem had to punish him. But the opportunity wasn't lost yet. Because now, Hashem went to Chava. He said, what have you done? Instead of her saying, yes, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I did it and I'm sorry, I won't do it again. Owning up to the mistake, what'd she do? She blamed the serpent. But then we see something wonderful. We see that when it came to the serpent, HaKadosh Baruch Hu does not ask him, what did you do? He immediately punishes him. You are accursed. Beyond all of the cattle, beyond all the beasts, instead of being the king of the animals, you'll be the least of all the animals. Upon your belly you shall go, and dust shall you eat all the days of your life. He removed his arms and legs, his beauty that he had, his ability to speak, his taste buds, split his tongue. Why? Because he said, Lashonara, he said, evil against God. 
by telling Chavad that really he's just trying to trick you because you could be like God. So you got punished right away. Now the question is, why did HaKadosh Baruch Hu not give the serpent also the benefit of the doubt? And say, why did you do it? Do you know why? Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu knows his creation. He knows the serpent is cunning. And he always has an excuse. And his excuses make things worse. And although he wanted to punish him, he didn't want to destroy him because he still has a purpose, just like Ishmael had a purpose. He's part of the stick that Hashem uses in order to rebuke his own people until the salvation comes. And had he asked the serpent, what did you do? The serpent would have answered in the same fashion as Adam and Chava and made things worse which would have forced Hashem to destroy him. What would he have said? That's the same as Adam and Chava. When Hashem asked Adam, what did you do? He said, it's because of the woman you gave me. When he asked Chava, what did you do? It's because of the snake. Had he asked the snake, the serpent, what did you do? the serpent would have answered, I did what you created me to do. You created me to be cunning. And therefore I was cunning. So it's your fault, God. Just like the heretics say. That, uh, that they say, oh, if God didn't want Adam to sin, then he wouldn't have created a sin. He wanted them to sin. If God didn't want you to sin, then he would have made sins. So therefore he wants you to sin. In all types of convoluted heresy. That type of heresy, that type of evil was permitted to stay into the world as part of the test of people that search for the truth. And Ishmael, Ishmael and his people, his descendants today, Ishmael himself did tshuva, but his descendants are obviously the worst of the worst. Most of them at least. Not all of them. Why? Because of this cunning nature. Because of this jealousy. Because of this obsession with whatever they don't have, they still want. Lastly, Rabotai, we see that there is the children of Adam and Chava, Cain and Abel, the first two, fought after Cain attacked him and Cain killed him. But before that, Cain was already rebuked by Hashem when Hashem rejected his korban, his sacrifice. And Hashem said to him, why are you so sad? Because I rejected your korban. If you do tshuva, then I'll, I'll accept it. You bring a better koban, I'll accept it. But if you leave this unanswered, you leave the door open, meaning if you leave the door open for the evil inclination to enter, that's going to rule your life. 
And since Cain did not do tshuva, he eventually became a murderer, murdering his own brother. The common denominator that we learn from both of these events in the beginning of the Torah is that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives each and every single person a good inclination and an evil inclination. An opportunity to follow the Word of God, an opportunity to violate the Word of God. An opportunity to repent, to do tshuva, or an opportunity to continue the evil, continue supporting evil. Eventually, Adam Rishon did tshuva, Chavad did tshuva. But had they done it ahead of time, they wouldn't have suffered. Ishmael did tshuva, but his descendants, many of them don't. But we see here, Rabotai, that the same thing that was needed back then, nearly 6,000 years ago, at the time of creation, is the same exact thing as what's needed today in a world full of liars, heretics, atheists, idol worshippers, and all types of people that manipulate any truth that they know into something that looks like the truth, but is full of evil. Everyone will have an opportunity to do tshuva. But once the end comes, there's no more time to do tshuva. There's no more time to repent. But what we'll see also is that there are certain people that not only will not do tshuva, already decided that they're right. Why? Why do you think you're right even though you lie for a living, you cheat, you murder, you do all types of horrible things? Why do you think it's right? Because they have the venom of the serpent already in their blood where they have accustomed themselves to be cunning, to be liars, to be heretics, to be false speakers, to such an extent that they've turned the falsehood into truth, and the truth into falsehood. This Rabotai is a poison that's all over the world, and unfortunately, a large amount of people have it, even the majority of the world. Everyone will have an opportunity to do tshuva before the end. But those people that choose to lie to themselves and accept the lies, they will not have an opportunity to do tshuva. Why? It's not because Hashem doesn't want them to do tshuva, but they themselves have made themselves incapable of doing tshuva because they've lied so much, they like the lies. They've killed so much, they trained their children to kill. They hate so much, they enjoy hate. So the same thing that was needed in Bereshit, in the beginning of the world, to overcome that obstacle and not leave the door of sin open. Because if you overcome that one obstacle, you're on a better road forever. But if you leave the door open and you make that one sin your average behavior on a daily basis, you'll turn into the most evil, wicked thing in creation instead of being the best thing in creation. And this Rabotai 
is a choice that all of you that are watching right now have to make. The sooner a person makes it, the better their chances are at actually succeeding before it's too late. With that being said, we'll open up for some questions. And Be'ezrat Hashem, see what you guys have on your mind. Get Kadosh will help us give you guys the answers. Let's see. I think you have to ask why this judgment on Israel happened. I don't see a reason of why we need to ask why the judgment on Israel happened. Anyone that learns Torah knows the judgment happens to us every single day, every single time, both individually and nationally, because of our sins. This is our Masoet, this is our tradition. The Gemara in Masechet Chulin on page 7 says that a person does not even get pricked on his finger to lose even a little bit of blood before it's decided in heaven that he deserves it. There's no, suffer, there's no uh, suffering without sin. This is one of our fundamental principles of our faith. Anyone who doesn't know that obviously doesn't know any Torah. Now, I know you yourself know, but the point is, is that anytime we see that there is suffering in the world, we know that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has a valid reason. Why? Because he's El Melech Ne'eman. We say every day, Amin. What does Amen mean? Who decided to make the word Amen? Amen is actually an acronym. An acronym for El Melech Neeman. The God, that's the king, that is reliable to reward and punish. That's what the acronym of Amen means. Everybody says Amen, Amen all the time without realizing. What are you saying when you say Amen? When you say Amen, you know that Hashem will either reward you or punish you. And he's never going to simply just forget it. doesn't happen. Anyone that says Hashem doesn't uh, reward and punish, it's considered 100% a heretic. Anyone that says, no, he rewards, but he's, uh, he's, gonna, you know, he's just not going to punish. For that type of statement, a person will get extra punishment. That's what the Gemara says. So, why this happened? This happened because of our sins. Question is, how many more of these disasters do we need before we wake up? As individuals, as a nation, and anyone that thinks that they are righteous enough, right this second, that since they didn't get hurt from this, that means they're okay? You're fooling yourself. If you are alive today, that means there's more work for you to do. There's more learning for you to do. There's more... Uh, fixing your character traits to do. There's more charity you need to give. There's more chesed you need to do. There's more character trait development you need to do. There's a uh, certainly more tshuva for every single person out there to do. Even the person that's tzaddik. He has to do more. How do I know? I know Baruch Hashem quite a few tzaddikim. The bigger the tzaddik, the more they cry about how much they need to fix themselves. And you're asking yourself, what sins do you even have to make? When do you have time to make sins? You study literally 20 hours a day. When do you make sins? What sins would you make? Oh, you wouldn't know. I mean, now, obviously when you spend so much time with them, you realize that they don't, they're not having the same problems like a secular person, you know, immorality, uh, violating Shabbat. No, but they realize that they're in such debt to a Kadosh Baruch Hu, that even if they didn't have full kavana and intention 
when they prayed, when they made a blessing, when they made a certain mitzvah, they already know they're being judged for it. They know more about the Omek the depth of the judgment. And the point is that anyone that is thinking, oh, we got judged because there's a bunch of immorality out there. We got judged because there's a bunch of immodesty out there. But uh, I'm okay because I'm not immoral and I'm not uh, immodest. Yes, but you're still alive. Which means you too have a lot to do. A lot. Had you completed your mission, you would already be in Ganedin with Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. So every single person has a lot to do. A lot. A ton. And the more you learn, the more you realize how much in debt you are to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. How can one volunteer in Israel help in the hospital or as a medical staff? Uh, perhaps contact the hospitals or the medical uh, uh, organizations, non-profit organizations, and ask them if they're looking for volunteers, which I'm sure they probably do. Uh, I would say uh, a good place to try that uh, is built and founded off of uh, many uh, volunteers is the organization called Hatzalah. The organization Hatzalah just... Uh, recently reported that uh, on the day of the uh, terror uh, attack, they uh, sent out 1,600 or 1,700 volunteers to the areas that were attacked. Uh, so they're, and they're looking for more volunteers. They're looking for more help. So uh, contact the organization at Salah, and I'm sure they'll be happy uh, to, uh, to have you if you have the skill set and the ability and the... Uh, um, uh, the motivation, certainly there's more need. Okay, a question. Is it correct to say 99.9% of Ishmaelim hate us and want to murder us since their comic book, uh, Quran, says to murder Jews? Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say 99.9%, but it's certainly a majority. Certainly a majority uh, of, uh, of Ishmaelim hate the Jews. Um, and uh, would be very happy if uh, there was no Jews in the world, and so on and so forth. But there are certainly uh, some that are uh, are decent people, are even uh, lovers of Jews, uh, and, uh, and have no connection whatsoever to uh, the hatred. Uh, but unfortunately, it's a minority. It's a minority. Rabbi, during the covenant of the uh, of the three parts that Avraham see the end of days, he saw the future. He saw the future. We'll discuss details of that once we get to that parasha. It's only in a couple weeks from now. Um, Shabbat is a sign or a mark between a Kadosh Baruch Hu and us. Um, okay. All right, she's making a statement. Yes, thank you. I saw a couple of pictures and I almost vomited. Oh, so you're referring to... The uh, horrific uh, terror and uh, massacres of the Shmailim, uh what they did to the Jewish people. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's a, um, uh, it's much worse than what you saw. Whatever you saw, it gets worse. Literally, every picture, every it gets worse. But it's not healthy for a person to see all this stuff. It's just it's simply not healthy. Uh, when a devil show was created, every soul was inside him. Oh, there's a question. Yes, all of the souls were inside Adam Rishon, and then uh, it was, uh, from him, it was split all of the other souls. Uh, a soul, the Arizal explains in Shal Gigulim, a soul is like a, uh, a fire, uh, and a fire could create 
endless amount more fires without lessening the original fire. So for example, if you take one candle that's lit and you want to light a second candle, once you light the second candle, you get back to your original candle. The original candle wasn't lessened. It's the same light, same light as it was before. You light another hundred candles, the original candle is still the same thing. So in essence, a soul can be split into many. Uh, and the, uh, the, uh, all of the souls were in the Dhamma Lishon, in different body parts, the higher level souls uh, were the uh, higher righteous, uh, more righteous people, uh, the, the lower ones are uh, less, uh, not necessarily wicked, but lesser level. Uh, is it true that all water on earth comes from Gan Eden? Uh, no, it's not true, because uh, as we see from Parashat Bereshit, that uh, it actually says that there is uh, water under the heavens and water above the heavens, meaning that there is water from the earth and there's water from outside of earth. And scientific research uh, that we've noted in uh, our uh, movie, our film that we made, uh, a Torah, Science, and Ancient Wisdom, it's an hour and 17 minutes, I think, uh, film, uh, the scientific research showed that what the Torah mentioned in several places aside from this verse, uh, that there is uh, a greater uh, uh, amount of water uh, from in outer space than there is in our world, was proven correct as the uh, uh, you know where the um, outer surface of the uh, of the universe is comprised of ice and there's meteors. Uh, there's a uh, um, uh, yeah meteors, I guess, or uh, what is it called? Um, these huge uh, uh, boulders of ice in outer space. Much of the rain that comes into the Earth uh, comes uh, from outer space. Actually, it's not. Uh, it's not coming like you learned in, uh, uh, in in school, in high school, where they teach you it's all coming from the ocean. It's not. It, some of it comes certainly, but a big majority of it comes from outer space. Um, and that's what the verse in the Torah says: that there is uh, water. Uh, Hashem put water. Under the heavens and above the heavens, and uh, the Zohar comments, and so, so does the Gemara, and the uh, water above the heavens is much greater than the water uh, under the heavens. Meaning, the water in outer space is much, much greater quantity than the, than the ocean that we have in the world. Even though seventy percent of the world uh, is water, uh, the water in outer space is much, much greater than the water in inside the earth. Uh, does it mean that Hashem did not accept our prayer? I'm not really sure how you got um, Hashem not accepting our prayer from anything that I said, but certainly Hashem uh, can and does accept our prayers, uh, but He doesn't necessarily always answer yes. Sometimes the answer to the prayer is no. It all depends. Where is Mashiach right now? Uh, Mashiach right now, let me check, hold on a second, let me see, I could call him, let me see, oh, oh no, that's just the remote control for the, uh, um, you know what, I'm using my phones for the camera, I was going to call him for you, and see where he is, maybe he's going to show up at the live, and uh, maybe give you a little chizuk, but I'm using the phones, so maybe I'll get another phone for the next live. It's a silly question, what do you mean, where is he now? Um, Mashiach is uh, a, a regular person who does not know he's Mashiach until Hashem decides to make him Mashiach, which is, at the same time, he's going to make the whole world know he's Mashiach, uh, or shortly thereafter. 
So it's not like it's just some person that's walking around with a uh, Mashiach uniform and a cape uh, flying from town to town just to oversee what's going on. Uh, read the Chumash with only the commentary of Rashi from Art Scroll. Yes. Uh, there are certainly some Chachamim that say uh, uh, no, but generally speaking, yes. Meaning that if you, ever found, if you ever heard somebody say absolutely not, even for that, that's because there is some Chachamim that say no. But generally speaking, it's the, the uh, majority opinion is that yes, you're allowed. You're allowed to read the Chumash with basic commentary by Rashi and uh, learn Musar. These are the things that are relevant uh, to a Noahide's life. Um, the next question has pretty much what the Shia was about, so I'm not going to answer it. Um, will Adam be resurrected from the dead? Yes, all the righteous people will be resurrected from the dead. Actually, even the wicked people will be resurrected from the dead, but the wicked people will be punished after resurrection, whereas the righteous people will be rewarded. Did Naamah, the sister of Tubal Cain, the wife of uh, Noah, why did he marry a descendant of Cain and not uh, Seth? Okay, so Naamah is the, uh, is the uh, same Naamah that's the, that's the wife of uh, Noah, and she was actually much older than Noah. Uh, and he married her because she was a very righteous uh, person. She was a very righteous person. She wasn't like her uh, her family. The snake represent the Satan? Uh, not really. Yes and no. Uh, the uh, more more uh, elaborate uh, explanation is is that the uh, there, it's represented evil, but the Satan rode the uh, the uh, the serpent. The serpent was, in essence, a uh, a separate uh, image. It was uh, it wasn't this, it wasn't actually the angel of death. It wasn't the Satan himself. He rode him. Uh, it's, maybe one day we'll do a, a shear about that, but I think it's a little bit too much Kabbalah. We'll see. Let's see what we have here. What are the differences between Islam and Judaism belief-wise? Uh, well, the biggest difference between the two is the fact that the uh, Jewish people believe in the Holy Torah and the written in the Oral Torah. And this written in the Holy Torah uh, says that everyone can go to heaven as long as they follow the Torah and fulfill their goal. A Jew fulfills his, uh, his purpose by following the laws of the Jews, the 613 laws, whichever one of those are relevant to him. Uh, and uh, the Gentiles, regardless of which part of the world they're from, whether they're from the Middle East or they're from uh, uh, you know, uh, Europe, wherever they are, uh, they're, con- they're considered uh, Gentiles or Noahides. Now, they have the seven Noahide laws, if they follow the seven Noahide laws and also the ethical laws, uh, then they also can go to heaven. It's different heavens, but nonetheless, they everybody can go to heaven if they follow the Torah. Whoever doesn't follow the Torah, whether he's Jew or Gentile, doesn't go to heaven, but rather goes to a horrible, horrible place, either Kafakela or Genom 
or gets reincarnated in different uh, things, uh, different creatures, different uh, creations, and so on and so forth. Now, point is that the Torah tells us that uh, everyone has an opportunity to be righteous and get rewarded for it. Everyone has an opportunity to be wicked and get punished for it. There's no special favors here. In the Quran, on the other hand, the Quran does not believe that. The Quran believes that unless you are a Muslim, uh, you cannot go to heaven. And in fact, part of what the Quran's teaching is, is that it's, it's good to kill Jews. As it has multiple places that uh, are taught on a regular basis that you know the Jew will be hiding behind the tree or behind the rock, and the rock is going to say, Muslim, Muslim, come, the Yehud is here, come. And they, they call kill the Jews. That's, that's, what the, that's in essence what, that's what Islam teaches. Islam teaches hate. Islam teaches hate. So, uh, and Islam does not, uh, even though they pretend to be accepting of, uh, of everyone, and they say, oh, you know, Musa, peace be upon him, and they even, uh, that's Moshe Rabbeinu, and they say even uh, uh, Jesus, they say, peace be upon him, we say, Machshimo. In reality, they pretend like they're friends of the Christians, but in reality, the biggest enemies of the Christians throughout all of history has been the Muslims. There's endless amount of battles between the two nations of how the Muslims, the Ishmaelim, used to massacre the, uh, the Christians, even till this day where they chop off their heads, hang them, and do all types of things to them because they also believe that they're idolaters. But we believe they're idolaters also. We don't kill them. We have no interest in killing them. But the point is that the, uh, um, the cunning nature of Ishmael, uh, like the serpent, is to pretend that they are nice and then chop off heads. That's what they teach. That's what the Quran teaches. Quran teaches that chopping off heads is good. In fact, the Torah in Judaism says, "Midvar sheker tilchak," from a thing of lies, stay away from. Not even, not only not allowed to lie, you're not even allowed to get close to a lie. The Quran, on the other hand, says you're allowed to lie. You're allowed to lie uh, if it's for the sake of uh, convincing somebody to do this or convincing somebody to do that. All types of other uh, mumbo jumbo that they create. Point is, is that although the Quran says that it's a, uh, you know, it, um, it believes in the Torah, they don't agree that the Torah that we have is the real Torah. That's, that, that's why you're never going to see a, uh, uh, any major debate between Jewish scholars and uh, Islamic scholars uh, throughout history. You're not going to see it. You may see some you know, yo-yos on YouTube today, I'm talking about real scholars throughout history, uh, you're never going to see the debate between them. Why? Because in order to have a debate between two parties, there has to be postulates, there has to be things that we agree on, there has to be things that we have a, uh, uh, you know, there's a, there's things that are uh, not up for debate. For example, everyone knows that Christianity claims that Although the Torah is true, they believe that the New Testament is a continuation. That's where they have the, uh, you know, they, they believe that uh, there's a new, you know, the, uh, the, the Yoshke stuff and all the Jesus stuff and I have. Okay, now, the thing is though, once they say that they believe that the Torah is real and they just have a continuation, that by default means that the Torah 
and the New Testament can be real. That's one possibility. Two, the Torah is real and the New Testament is fake. That's a second possibility. And a third possibility is that it's 100% impossible for the New Testament to be real and the Torah to be fake. Why? Because again, once the Christians say that they, their New Testament is a continuation of our Torah, our written Torah, that means that they agree to every single word that's in the Torah. Which means that they already before day before Christianity was created, the only thing that was true is the Torah. So that means that the only truth that existed before the New Testament, they agree themselves it was is the Torah. Which means that it's not possible for the Torah to be fake and the New Testament real. It's not possible. So that's, in essence, that's considered a postulate. That's considered something that every uh, Jewish scholar and, uh, uh, and uh, Christian scholar uh, already have in, as a common denominator that they know that this is, these are rules. With, with Islam, you don't have those rules. Why? Because they say, yes, we believe in the Torah, but not your Torah. We believe that you change things. We believe you change things. For example, one of the things they believe, the Islam believes, is that uh, Avraham, when the, the Akidah of, uh, of nearly sacrificing his son, they believe that the Jewish people changed. Instead of it being uh, 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 Yitzchak, they believe it was Ishmael. That, uh, that, that Avraham was supposed to sacrifice, uh, or nearly sacrificed uh, Ishmael, his son Ishmael, and not his son Yitzchak, like the Torah says. Now, a, uh, this is obviously ridiculous, but the uh, other things that they build on that, why do they say it's so significant? Why do they make it? Because they're, uh, one of their uh, um, you know, uh, uh, towers of, uh, of straw that they build on that, uh, on that is that because uh, Avraham, you know, they say peace be upon him and you know, to show respect, and uh, Ishmael, peace be upon him, because they were so holy, they went and they uh, and they built the Al-Aqsa. They, they built that uh, cube over there. They went, and obviously this is all complete nonsense. They didn't build any cube, they didn't build any, any of that stuff. But again, the house of straws that they have has to come from somewhere. Has to come from somewhere. Now, between us, only between us, a few thousand people that are in this, uh, this live shiur, only between us. There's a joke inside Jewish circles that we say one of the things we learn from Avraham, aside from all the wonderful things that we learn from him, is that don't ask any questions when God tells you to ask, ask you to do something. Why? Because look, when God asked Avraham, Avraham, go and uh, you know uh, sacrifice your son. What did Avraham do? Avraham says, which son? Hashem says, your only son. Hashem said, uh, Avraham said, no, no, I have two sons. I have Ishmael and I have Yitzhak. And then Hashem said, the son you love. And Avraham said, oh, I, I love both of them. And Hashem says, Yitzhak. So why, what, what, what's the problem here? The Jewish people today are saying, look, if Avraham wouldn't have asked any questions, he would have just simply said, what? What do you want me to do, Hashem? You want me to what? Slaughter one of my sons? Fine. Ishmael, come on, come over here. <laughs> okay, great. Why? If you would have done that, we wouldn't have had any problems. We wouldn't have all the things we have in the last couple of days. We wouldn't have all of the uh, uh, things in Egypt. Well, our life would have been much more wonderful. 
Don't ask Hashem questions. Just do what He says. So, you got yourself a biblical joke. Uh, and there's many, many other differences between uh, 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 Judaism and um, and Islam. Uh, again, because it's not it's not a uh, it's not that we can both be right according to them. It's a uh, it's that uh, they believe that they are right. We know that we are right. Who is considered righteous? Is it only Jews or would a Christian be considered righteous? Righteousness is is determined by the one who created the rules, which is God. And God says, whoever follows my Torah is considered righteous. Now, if a person looks at the Torah, he'll see the most famous part of the Torah, I would say, aside from creation, is the Ten Commandments. The first commandment says that Hashem... He's the one who took us out of Egypt. After that, it says you cannot... The second commandment, he says that you cannot worship idols. And, uh, you know, he's the only God and you can't worship idols. So already with Christianity, they're violating the first couple of commandments because they believe that uh, God is not one. He's three. Uh, and uh, in essence, that's considered idolatry. So people that follow the New Testament are not considered righteous. They're considered idol worshippers. They can become righteous if they abandon the New Testament and follow the Torah. Is the man one I mentioned in the Torah? Yes, his name was Bilam. What determines wicked versus righteous? Like I said, the uh, the one who created righteousness and wicked wickedness uh, is the uh, the rules, the rules of the Torah. Hashem says, if you follow the laws of my Torah, that means you're righteous. If you violate the laws of my Torah, that means you're wicked. Same thing like the rules of the land. Wherever you live in the world has rules. There's traffic rules, there's tax rules, there's all types of rules. And everybody knows that if you violate the rules, the law considers you wicked. Law considers you a criminal. If you a uh, um, follow the rules, you're considered righteous. You're considered a uh, decent citizen. So it's a uh, upright citizen. Uh, so the point is, is that it's a uh, it's all based on the rules, and the rules for uh, for mankind are in the Torah. How many factions does Judaism has? Uh, if you're talking about customs and, uh, and, and, and cultures, there's many. We, because Jews have spread all over the world. There's Jews from Morocco, there's Jews from uh, Iran, there's Jews from uh, Tripoli, Jews from Poland, uh, Ukraine, Russia, uh, Yemen. Uh, there's Jews from uh, China, India. Literally, there's Jews from all over the world throughout the ages. We spread out all over the world. Uh, but if you're talking about uh, different versions of Judaism as far as the actual uh, 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 following the ways of the Torah, uh, then uh, there's just simply orthodoxy. There's orthodox Judaism is the one that follows the Torah. But then you have a uh, conservative or reform or messianic 
these are things that uh, uh, call themselves Judaism, but they don't actually follow the Torah. They follow whatever they want, but they just practice uh, certain uh, customs that they like. Uh, you know, so if you actually talk about following the Torah, following the Torah is represented by Orthodox Judaism. Uh, now, in regards to different customs within Orthodoxy, certainly, uh, but there is a uh, you know there's according the Torah itself has you know righteous or wicked. You follow the Torah, you don't follow the Torah. Today we we call it uh, Orthodoxy, uh, meaning the commitment to uh, to the Torah. Uh, but, and there, but and there's certainly many different types of customs based on where you lived. Uh, but uh, as far as the law itself, the bottom line law, overall foundation of the law is the same for all of orthodoxy. The other ones that are like imitators, uh, reformed and conservative, in their nature, they reformed the truth. They reformed and manipulated it to fit their agenda. So that's not real authentic Judaism. Can a Jewish woman marry a non-Jewish man? Uh, no, it's a uh, forbidden for a Jew to marry a non-Jew. Um, and if a uh, Jewish woman marries a non-Jewish man, then uh, she's uh, considered the equivalent to a prostitute uh, in the eyes of the Torah. Uh, although her children will still be considered Jewish because she's Jewish, uh, but certainly, those children are uh, likely to uh, assimilate and uh, you know and not not follow the Torah at all, similar to their mother. Uh, on the other hand, if a man that's Jewish marries a non-Jewish woman, his children will not be Jewish, because uh, Judaism comes from uh, the mother. But uh, either way, it's forbidden for a Jew uh, to marry a non-Jew uh, and even to be intimate with a non-Jew, uh, even outside of marriage. Can you answer, can you really be ready to meet your Lord knowing that you have caused misery? Uh, I didn't really cause any misery, so. I think you're asking the wrong person. Do you support Israel or Palestine? I support the Torah. And the Torah says that Israel is the chosen people. Certainly we have some among us that are very righteous and some among us that are very wicked. But as a nation, overall, we are the chosen people. Palestine is not a nation. 
It's just a combination of people from different countries that, um, you know, we, uh, we already spoke about the whole night, that have uh, the serpent as their main uh, inspiration. Everything people are reading to them years ago. No one can enter Jews unless you're born by blood. No, it's completely wrong. It's completely wrong. There's actually... Anyone can become a Jew, and one of the proofs to it is that our Holy Torah uh, mentions it in no less than 36 different verses in the Torah of how much Hashem loves the converts, people that were born non-Jews and convert to Judaism. Uh, So not only are you uh, able to convert to Judaism... Uh, but in fact, a Hashem loves and protects the convert uh, even more than a natural-born Jew, if it's a righteous convert. Do you speak Yiddish or Hebrew at all? Uh, well, I don't speak Yiddish, number one, because I'm not Ashkenazi. Yiddish is something that uh, a language that typically Ashkenazi uh, Jewish people uh, speak. Uh, and number two, no one ever taught me Yiddish. But I do speak Hebrew because I was born in Israel and um, I speak Hebrew. And aside from being born in Israel, I learned Torah. In order to learn Torah, uh, you know, speaking Hebrew is uh, one of the things you need to do at some point or another. Baruch Hashem, I was uh, raised knowing speaking Hebrew, but uh, uh, I actually have a channel on YouTube where I only give Hebrew shilling. And right before this lecture tonight, I was part of another lecture in Hebrew. Uh, so if you want to see me speak Hebrew, you can go to the other channel and you'll see there. Are you a Zionist or non-Zionist? Orthodox Jews are never going to be Zionists. Uh, Some will be uh, pro-Zion in a sense that they have a different definition of Zionism, uh, where there's like a, what's called like religious Zionism, that's not really uh, the same thing as the original Zionistic belief. Uh, That's uh, original Zionistic uh, belief uh, that's more common uh, today is based on socialism and atheism. It's an anti-God mentality, lefty, liberal, that's Zionism. Uh, There are sometimes going to be religious Jews that are Zionistic, but they don't have the same definition to it, obviously because they're not atheists and they're not uh, uh, lefty liberals. 
Rather, they, their version of Zionism is simply loving the land, loving the land in, in itself, and that's not a problem. Now, as far as uh, Zionism in its, uh, uh, in its core is antithetical to the Torah, meaning a religious Jew, an Orthodox Jew, can never be an, uh, a, a Zionist, like the original definition is, because the, Zion, the original Zionists, like Herzl uh, and, uh, and his followers, they hated Judaism, uh, and in fact were even considering uh, starting uh, the uh, uh, get, you know the, the nation the, the, the land of Israel uh, in, uh, in, pa- in, uh, in, in originally they wanted Palestine that's what it was called at the time um, uh, as, as far as the, the pol- political world obviously we know that it was always called Israel according to the Torah and according to all of history but the uh, British mandate and how the world called it at the time was Palestine. And uh, they wanted that, but uh, they knew that it was going to be hard to get, so they started considering Uganda, Uganda, in South Africa, as maybe the land of the Jewish people, which shows that they didn't actually care about the land of Israel because of the biblical connection to the Jewish people. They just wanted land. They just wanted land. So Zionists are not... uh, uh, connected to Judaism and the Torah, but the opposite. They, that one of their primary goals was to uh, remove Judaism and the Torah from the Jewish people. When they saw this was not working out so well for them, they simply, and, and that people want some type of religion, then they decided that they'll connect with Christianity. And one of the things that Herzl uh, proposed to the Pope in a uh, letter that he wrote him, and what he mentioned in his uh, in his journal, is that he wanted to do a mass conversion to the Jews uh, to Catholicism. And in fact, his uh, Herzl's son, his name was Hans. Uh, he was not circumcised like Jews are, and he practiced uh, uh, he didn't practice Judaism, and uh, and Herzl himself practiced Christianity. He had a uh, a Christmas tree in his house uh, every year. Uh, so uh, the Zionists, many of them were uh, were uh, uh, born Jewish according to you know their mothers, but they hated Judaism and they practiced Christianity or atheism. Uh, so Zionism, in its core, is not a Jewish belief; it's antithetical to Judaism. Um, but sometimes you'll see people that call themselves Zionists today and still wear a kippah like I'm wearing and are religious, but that's not the same type of Zionist. Those are people that are simply redefining the word Zionism with uh, uh, a love of the actual land itself where they're supportive and live in the land and so on. That's, that's a different type of Zionism. Do you condone the acts of IDF? Well, I, uh, I could tell you the same thing that I told somebody uh, yesterday. Uh, if you ask me about uh, the acts of IDF and how... They're uh, bombing right now Gaza and different places. Um, if you're asking me if I agree with it, uh, then no, I don't agree with it. I actually think they should do much more. Uh, I, I don't even think that the soldiers uh, should even go in there. I think there should just be a couple of planes, 15 minutes, and they're finished. I think to send the people there, send the, the soldiers there, is simply risking life for no reason. 
You could just send a few planes and do a much better job. Much better job, turn it into a soccer field or something, maybe eventually build a few synagogues there. Uh, I think it would be much, much better job. There's no reason to, uh, to send the, uh, uh, the soldiers there. So I don't condone what they're doing, uh, but I don't agree with it. I think they should be much more aggressive. And after they finish there, they can go to other parts of the land of Israel and remove the filth from there too. Uh, so, uh, yeah, yeah. Is that the answer you were looking for? Did you like that one? Like that one? Eh? Okay, good. Ay, 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 ay. Was there ever a scholar named Rabbi Eliyahu Kin? Uh, there's actually a Talmud Chacham in California named, uh, I believe, Rabbi Eliyahu Kin. Yeah, Talmud Chacham in California does some uh, good lectures. Uh, I think that's his name, yeah. I'm pretty sure it's his name, yeah. Um, how can a person change what is happening in the world? Rabbi Sayyidi Salant said a, uh, an analogy of what a person aspires to do. He says that a person in the beginning of his life, he wants to change the world. As he grows up, he realizes the world is too big. He says, you know what? I'm going to change my country. A few more years of effort without success. He says, you know what? I'm not going to change the country. I'm going to change my town. More years pass without success. He says, you know, I'm going to change my neighborhood. My neighborhood I'm going to change. More years passed, he's getting older, he said, I'll change my family. But already everybody's grown up and everybody's doing their own thing. And he says, okay, let me just change myself. And then he realizes finally after he wasted his life trying to change the world. And by going after the whole world, by realizing that had he changed himself from the beginning, he would have been able to change the world. So if a person wants to change the world, he should start with himself by following what the Torah says. And that in itself is going to change different parts of the world. No, Rabbi Kin, your teacher? No, I don't have a teacher named Rabbi Kin, no. My rabbi's name is Rabbi Ephraim Kachlon. He's an extraordinary Talmud Chacham, wrote over 50, 60 books already by now. Uh, he's a Dayan. He's, uh, he's one of the Gdolim in our generation and certainly will be recognized by uh, everybody as one of the Gdolim though in the foreseeable future. Baruch Hashem. Hashem. The people who do know him or have read his books... Um, are saying that I'm saying it's an understatement. Um, the people that don't know him, you know, may or may not uh, agree. What about some of the Orthodox Jews that burn the Israeli flag and support Palestine? Are they against Zionism? Uh, certainly they are against Zionism, uh, but if uh, burning the Israeli flag is not going to be you know, conducive to uh, to anything good in the world. And certainly joining forces with the enemies of, of other Jews is not the will of Hashem.
How to ask good questions. Why is my accident removed? I didn't even do anything. Hi, hi. Um, how is, uh, what is this? How to ask good questions learning Torah? Uh, the best way to know how to ask good questions is by learning a lot of Torah. The more you learn, the more questions you're going to have. And in fact, based on your questions, your teacher, whoever your teacher is, is going to know how you're advancing, how, uh, you know, how much you actually have learned. Uh, if you're asking you know, basic level questions, sophisticated questions, uh, fundamental questions, halachic questions, uh, you know, there's, there's different subjects within Torah. It's a world, it's an ocean. Okay, um, let me see, I think that's pretty much it. Oh, okay, here we go. What is the highest form of mitzvah that you can do in this difficult time? And do as many as possible. Highest thing, we discussed it last night, is to help other Jews do tshuva. By sharing lectures uh, that, uh, you know, that are going to give people chizuk and help them do tshuva, strong lectures by uh, uh, supporting uh, the uh, organizations that do it, rabbis that do it, whether it's myself or, or other organizations that do something similar, uh, which unfortunately there aren't many. Uh, there are many organizations, but not uh, many that do the same thing we do. Uh, there is uh, arranging lectures, is, uh, you know, where you can arrange an event, get you know, a few hundred people together uh, to, uh, to watch a lecture and give everybody a... Uh, Spiritual uplift, um, doing kiruv. There's nothing greater than, uh, than than a person can do than to help other people do tshuva, especially at this time, uh, because uh, this is the uh, as they say, you know, this is the last stop. This is the last stop before the train leaves the station, and that's it. No one, uh, there's no more chances. So anyone that is uh, wants the highest level of reward highest level of protection, highest level of blessing, uh, will uh, will help as many people as possible to tshuva. Uh, and it's not just something that I'm saying it because that's what I do, but rather something that you'll find in the books. Uh, the Chovot uh, um, written about a thousand years ago, 
uh, by uh, Rabbi Bachir Ibn Pegudah, uh, and uh, this is one of the fundamentals of Judaism, this book. And uh, he writes that even if somebody has Torah knowledge and good deeds like Moshe Rabbeinu, they're still not going to get the same level of reward as somebody who does Kiruv, somebody that does Jewish outreach to help people do tshuva. Now, again, there are many different types of people that claim to do Kiruv or outreach, but you have to look at it based on the success and the, the impact. You know, some people give lectures and uh, the crowd uh, falls asleep or the crowd stays the same, meaning they're spiritually sleeping. They can attend lectures that this guy is speaking for 20 years and not even do one good deed as a result of it, aside from maybe giving some charity. Uh, you know, but they're not going to keep Shabbat. They're not going to start becoming moral. They're not going to you know, change their life in any major way. So that's not really considered Kiruv. That's just you know, marketing. Uh, Kiruv, that's real Jewish outreach that the Chovot Levavot is referring to, is someone that actually succeeds in transforming people's lives, you know, through their teachings of the Torah, uh, you know, and, and getting them to actually observe the mitzvot and, and stop being sinners. And that's what all of the prophets mentioned, like the prophet Daniel in the last chapter, chapter 12, or uh, the, uh, the prophet uh, Ezekiel mentioned in several places. Uh, all of the prophets mentioned it. The Rambam uh, mentioned it in Yilchot Shuvah that... Uh, you know the the people that uh, cause people to stop be sin- stop from being sinners are the uh, stars. They're the highest level of reward goes to them. Uh, so a person that uh, can do that or be part of it in some way or another, uh, you know, is a uh, simply doing the best thing they could possibly do it be doing, uh, regardless of when that time was. But it's even more so now since the this is the end. So, for example, if you have, let's say, a uh, uh, people that are, you know, building, they're part of building the company, and they, uh, they're, they're working, and uh, one guy is working on uh, one thing, another guy is working on another thing, and everybody's doing their job, and they're working and working and working, and they build this little, you know, this little company. And sure, the, uh, the owner is very grateful to everybody, thank you for working, and he gives everybody their salary, and uh, and he gives everybody their uh, their bonuses from time to time, but then one day, the uh, the owner says, "Listen, I have an opportunity right now to uh, to uh, exit, meaning to sell the company. But of course, I want to get the best possible price. So I have one year to get this company to the highest level of performance it ever had because that's what the price is going to be based on. So whoever helps me." Get the company to where it's uh, where to the highest level will get the highest reward as a result. So certainly, the people that help build the company, the people that are around all the time, pushing paper, building things, making coffee, making phone calls, getting customers—they're all good. They're all good. But the ones that at the end, at the end, whether they're going to get it to the best possible level, certainly will get the highest reward. That's just the, the natural way of how the world works. Uh, and certainly now is the same thing. And that's actually one of the things that the Malbim uh, says uh, based on the uh, uh, verse in chapter 12 of the book of Daniel that we mentioned last night. So a person that does Kiruv uh, was always uh, rewarded higher than everybody else out there. But the reward for those people at the end of times that where we find ourselves today 
is exponentially higher than it ever has been before. So that is not only the best thing that you can do ever, but it's even better than ever now. Uh, are there people in the world today that are destined to be wicked and won't ever have the opportunity to do tshuva? Uh, technically, yes. The Rambam writes that one of the biggest punishments that Hashem can give a person in this world is to remove their desire from doing tshuva. Meaning that they will no longer desire to change their ways. They will want to be wicked. They'll desire wickedness. Uh, yeah, so it does exist. Now, people probably asking a follow-up question in their mind, how do I know it's not me because I'm still not 100% righteous? It's not you. Why? If you're watching one of my lectures, as my lectures are not soft speech, certainly there's a part of you that is desiring to be better. If you are still desiring to be better, then you're certainly not being, you're not one of those people that is destined to fail. Uh, it's quite the opposite. You're one of the people that could be, you know, uh, very, very successful in Chuba. What if somebody follows the mitzvot like a robot? Are the mitzvot still valid? Uh, yes, they're valid, but their value is lessened. Kava, the black cube in Mecca, uh, is, uh, is it idolatry when Muslims walk around and kiss it? No, it's just foolishness. They're not praying to it like it's an idol or anything like uh, Christianity. Praise to uh, Yoshke. Oh, you liked my joke? Thanks. Thanks. Wasn't my, I didn't invent it. It's actually an old Jewish joke. Uh, when someone passes, I thought that they would go back to the ground and never return to their home because they have no memory. So while the videos of ghosts and demons walking around, uh, I saw in some in the movie Gainom. Uh Actually, if you saw the whole movie of Gainom, then you would have saw that there's a part called reincarnation. Uh, and reincarnation means that uh, the lifetime that a person is here now is not his first lifetime. He was he reincarnated. He came to the world multiple times. And you can also watch other lectures that I have on the channel about reincarnation. There's also a film that uh, Rabbi uh, Yosef Mizrahi, our dear friend, uh, you know, and extraordinary Kiruv Rabbi, uh, made called uh, Life After Death. Uh, it talks about uh, reincarnation. And he also has several lectures about that topic as well as countless other Baruch Hashem. When someone is being treated in a non-positive way by someone, what is the correct humble mindset in that situation? It depends what you mean by non-positive way. If they're insulting them, if they're simply not uh, complimenting them, if they are uh, mistreating them, you know, it depends what non-positive way. But generally speaking, if it's a uh, relationship where one person is trying to their best while the other person is uh, underappreciating them, they could certainly talk to them about it and say that they're not feeling appreciated, they're not feeling uh, respected. Uh, if they have that, uh, if they want to develop that relationship and they think that something good will come out of it, 
Um, if they don't think anything will good will come out of it, then they have to ask themselves, why do they have this relationship in the first place? If the relationship is uh, someone that you can't replace, like a parent or a sibling or something like that, then over time you'll see yourself spending less and less time with this person, even though they're family and uh, sibling. Uh, if it's a spouse, most likely they'll get divorced. Uh, it's just a matter of time. Uh, if it's a child, most likely that uh, child will move out of the house relatively young age. Generally speaking, people don't like to be mistreated over a long period of time. They're willing to take it for a short period of time, uh, but not, uh, not over an extended period of time. How can I avoid having bad thoughts? By replacing them with good thoughts. Now, if you don't have a lot of good thoughts in your mind right now, then learn a lot of Musar, a lot of good things of the Torah, and you'll have a lot of thoughts, good thoughts in your mind. Thoughts about the Creator, thoughts about the creation, thoughts about how you could improve yourself. Um, that's uh, certainly going to improve your mind. Rabbi, what's your favorite part or holy site of Jerusalem? Uh, my favorite part is to be with Rabbi Ephraim, wherever he is. Uh, that's my favorite part. So usually it's in the uh, uh, his study room. That's my favorite part. Certainly, I mean, if you're talking about actual scenes outside of that, uh, then I would say the Kotel. Kotel, that area over there is beautiful. Um... Can we buy today the smells that was and will be used in the Bet Uh No, there's no such thing. If you're paying back a loan that was a blessing from Hashem, is it right to give a priority to pay back over giving uh, tithe, kiruv, and charity? Um, well, I mean, if if... You have a loan agreement um, with a bank, with a person, or whatever it is, that let's say, for example, says, uh, let's say you uh, borrowed uh, $1,000 and you have to pay uh, 10 payments of $100. Now, you have, you know, extra $200 a month. You have extra $200 a month. and uh, But you usually you give $100 in, uh, in Staka and you give uh, $100 for the loan. And you're asking, uh, listen, maybe I should pay this loan faster because the guy that lent me the money was really nice to me, and ta da 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 da. Uh, or should I give uh, Tzedakah? The answer is that you should just follow the original terms of the loan. As long as you follow the original terms of the loan, which is you meet the loan demands by paying that $100, you're doing the best thing you could do for yourself, and also you're able to do the mitzvot. Uh, it doesn't uh, pay for you to uh, pay the loan off faster uh, and miss out on an opportunity to do, uh, to do mitzvot. Uh, now, if you're talking about, on the other hand, where it's either you pay back the loan, you only have $100. You only have $100 a month to pay each month. And so it's either to pay $100 for the loan that you owe, or it's to do mitzvah, then you have to pay the loan. You have to pay the loan. Doing the mitzvah is not possible. Why? Because by doing the mitzvah, you'd be violating the loan. You won't be, you'll be defaulting on the loan. So you have to pay the loan. 
so if you're able to do both, then certainly do both. Uh, but if you could only do one, then you must fulfill your obligation as far as the loan and return the money that way. Uh, okay, that's it. I think we've answered all of the questions. Baruch Hashem. Uh, may Hashem bless each and every single one of you and protect Am Yisrael uh, and all of the uh, righteous Noahides that support the Torah, that committed the Torah, and uh, that Bezat uh, Hashem will help all of Am Yisrael do tshuva. And may HaKadosh Baruch Hu give us the ability and the merit and the schut uh, to, uh, to help each and every single person, in, uh, you know, in, in, it's part of Klal Yisrael, it's supportive of, of Am Yisrael, that's a lover of HaKadosh Baruch Hu to, uh, to, do, to be the vehicle, to help them do tshuva, to get them close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, not for the sake of us getting a reward, but simply, simply for the sake of having everyone sanctify HaKadosh Baruch Hu's name. So Kadosh Bukhu's name will be one, uh, and, and, uh, and the, the whole world will know that the best thing you could possibly do is to serve Hashem and nothing else. Thank you very much for everyone for learning with me, and Bezat Hashem, we will learn again very, very soon, perhaps even tomorrow. Call to B'chavat Tachah.